Hello, and welcome to Nonprofit Nation. I'm your host, Julia Campbell, and I'm going to sit down with nonprofit industry experts, fundraisers, marketers, and everyone in between to get real and discuss what it takes to build that movement that you've been dreaming of. I created the Nonprofit Nation podcast to share practical wisdom and strategies to help you confidently find your voice, definitively grow your audience, and effectively build your movement. If you're a nonprofit newbie or an experienced professional who's looking to get more visibility, reach more people, and create even more impact, then you're in the right place. Let's get started. Welcome to another episode of the Nonprofit Nation podcast. I am thrilled to be here again today with one of my favorite consultants, friends, colleagues, Rachel Muir. Rachel Muir. And I knew that I was going to mispronounce it. <laughs> you got Rachel Muir, live from Austin, Texas. How are you, Rachel? I'm doing great, Julia. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here with you today. I know it's not as much fun as having. Tacos and margaritas. What was that restaurant that we went to in Austin? It was um, amazing. La Condesa. Oh, so fun. That was the last time I traveled. That was the last time I was in a bar. That was the last time I was at a restaurant with people. So me too. Um, I have very fond memories of Austin, Texas. So we're in for a treat. For, we're in for a treat today. Rachel has worked. I love this in your bio. Every side of the Rubik's cube. That is the nonprofit sector from founding a nonprofit when she was 26 years old. She founded Girl Start in her living room with $500 on a credit card. And Girl Start is an organization after my own heart, a nonprofit dedicated to empowering girls in STEM. Several years after that, fast forward, Rachel had raised over $10 million and has been featured on Oprah, CNN, and the Today show. And we're going to dive into all of that. She loves helping fundraisers raise more money and delight their donors. And I am not just saying this. She has one of my favorite email newsletters in the sector, frequent pop culture references, animated GIFs, emojis. And I love the one about your boyfriend. Was that your seventh grade boyfriend? That was one of my favorite ones. Oh, it was a massive crush that I had. Yeah. (laughs) It was just about, about the, I know how to pick him. Yeah. It was about a crush that I had in ninth grade. I think he was a senior when I was in ninth grade. He went on to start two wildly successful technology companies just because the show ninth grade me totally knew how to pick him. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I, that was one of my absolute favorite emails. So what we want to talk about today, we want to talk about your journey. We want to talk about fearless fundraising, kind of all the things, but let's begin with your journey founding Girl Start and of course, meeting Oprah, sure, which we're going to fangirl over. <laughs> well, I started Girl Start when I was 26 and I had been really discouraged in math and science when I was growing up. And I got the message that girls were like not good at math. And I kind of internalized that message and, you know, gender discrimination around math and science and school is not a noisy problem. It's a very insidious problem and it's a pretty quiet problem. And it really wasn't until I went on to college and I was graduated college and I saw that kids literally in high school, believe this or not, I mean, 
this was this is what Austin, Texas was like. Kids were literally getting pulled out of high school and being offered high-tech jobs without a high school diploma. And there was such a massive shortage wow. of qualified women with a background mm-hmm. in technology. And we were doing visas to get people to come in from other countries and take on all these high-tech jobs. It was like this massive workforce development issue, but it was also an issue around girls not being encouraged. And we're never going to have more women in STEM. We're never have a pipeline if we don't start addressing it sooner. Mm -hmm. So I started Girls Start and there wasn't anything like it in my community. And I really wanted to do something to empower girls and it was a lot of blood, sweat, and tears starting a nonprofit mm-hmm. organization. I've never been more poor in my life. I mean, I literally lived off beans and rice for an entire year. I did like odd jobs in my apartment complex to like have them take money off my rent. It took a year. And after a year of just working like 60 hour weeks, after one year, I was able to get a grant that basically kind of started everything in terms of funding it. Wow. And I was able to hire a couple staff. I was able to start paying myself. And the Oprah thing came a few years later, but it was all an incredible journey. I would tell anyone, it's a lot of work to start a nonprofit organization. We can talk more about that later. But yeah, that's my girl start story. (laughs) That's wonderful. So you saw a need that wasn't being filled and you just went and did it. And that was 26. Yeah, I was 26 years old. Wow. Did you talk to other people? Did you how did you confirm that this was something you knew you'd get buy-in for? You just knew you just had this passion and you knew that you could get people on board with it? That is an awesome question. So a couple of things I had going for me. One of the things that I had going for me, like on a national scale in the kind of psyches of America was that the American Association of University Women had just come out with a really landmark study called Shortchanging Girls, Shortchanging America. Oh. And that study really identified the problem that had no name, kind of like Betty Friedan and the Feminine Mystique, of yes. girls like being kind of discriminated against and not being empowered to, you know, just this gender discrimination in the classroom and their lack of confidence in math and science. So it kind of, that study was so landmark and so well discussed and examined and talked about that when I told people my elevator statement, I'm starting Girl Start, it's a new nonprofit to empower girls in math, science, engineering, and technology. People were like, oh my God, I wish that had been around when I was a girl. Oh my God, Mm -hmm. that's so important. Oh my God, yes, we need that so bad. We Mm -hmm. have all these openings at Dell. We have all these openings at Intel. We have all these openings at AMD. We can't wear off any women in these positions. This is so important. So that study did a lot to help, you know, sort of legitimize what you were doing. Exactly. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Amazing. Well, how did you get from rice and beans and $500? You went to the grant. I went to the grant. And Um, then when did you start getting kind of national coverage and recognition? Yeah. So about like Three years in, we started getting national coverage. We were featured in Fast Company Magazine, in Texas Monthly Magazine, in Cosmo Girl Magazine, uh, in Glamour Magazine. The whole Oprah story came about because this is a funny story, but I have a family friend who's known me since I was born. And he contacted me one day and said, this is all about three years in. And he contacted me one day and said, I want to nominate you for an award. There's this Austin Under 40 award 
And I'd like to nominate you for it. And I said, look, if you're going to take all the time to write an award for me, Mm -hmm. would you consider writing Oprah? And he was like, sure. If you want me to write Oprah a letter, I'll write Oprah a letter. (laughs) I'll write Oprah a letter. (laughs) He literally wrote Oprah a letter. And it was this hilarious, like, it had a lot of backhanded compliments as I guess what you call it. But in his letter, he said, he's kind of a curmudgeon. He's kind of a grumpy guy. (laughs) And he said, and this is like a family friend. And he said, you know, there's this girl named Rachel. I've known her since she was born. And, you know, she's kind of a feminist and I didn't know she was going to make something of herself, but lo and behold, (laughs) I guarantee you 90% of like my family friends would describe me the same way. (laughs) Yeah. Lo and behold, she went and started this nonprofit. She's kind of, you know, doing well at it, I guess. Mm -hmm. And you should, you should really check this out. Wow. That's really inspiring words. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. And so they called me and they were like, Look, we don't want you to get excited. Don't tell anybody, but we're this probably isn't gonna happen, but we're thinking right. about you for this, you know, we do this use your life award. Someone, this guy wrote us a letter about you. And uh, I was like, wow, but they said don't get excited, it's probably yep. not gonna happen, don't tell anybody. So I didn't tell anybody. And then like two weeks later, they're like, Okay, we're gonna come next week. And I'm like, What? <laughs> oh my goodness. But it was about the most exciting like 40 seconds of my life getting to walk out on her show on her set touch her we held hands oh. i never wanted to let go Oprah oh. is she's just larger than life and when you yeah. meet her in real life it feels like just you're kind of just take it's it's amazing she's incredible she's used her entire platform and her life to amplify voices like yours when you were just starting out other causes that she cares about that's what i really truly value about Oprah. I mean, now there may be some ego there, but she deserves every piece of ego that she has. But in the beginning, it really was just about, these are really cool things going on that not a lot of people know about. And I have a platform and I want to tell people. Yeah. Yeah. So what's going on with Girl Start today? Yeah. So it's still thriving. It's still going well. Girl Start's expanded a lot since I started it. And those programs, they've expanded programs all over Texas and they've, they've even expanded programs outside of Texas. What advice do you have for those who want to start their own nonprofit? You told us a little bit about your journey yeah. as a woman in her 20s, founding and running a nonprofit. What are some pitfalls? What advice do you have for other people that want to follow in your footsteps? I have three pieces of advice for my okay. friends out there who want to start a nonprofit. So, My first piece of advice is ask yourself, is no one else doing it? So important. So important. If someone else is doing it already, then how are you different? How is your approach different? How are you unique? How are you desperately needed? Funders Mm -hmm. will ask you those questions and you need to have an answer to tell them exactly why you are unique, you are original. If it exists, why yours is better why it's novel, why it's new. The second thing is, I call this the cocktail party test. Mm -hmm. And this is the test where you are at a cocktail party and someone says, what do you do? And you say what your mission is and you know, frankly, whether you're going to be successful by how they react when you tell them your elevator statement. If they say, oh my God, I wish that had been around when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. Oh my God, that's so important. That didn't exist before. 
if they have that kind of reaction, you are on a good path. But if they respond and say, oh, kind of like XYZ organization (sighs) or why is that important? Or worse, if they try to get away from you and go to the other <laughs> side of the room, then you know, or if they ask you a lot of questions, like, why would you do that? Why would you do that there? Why is that needed? Why you is that needed? Yeah. Right away. I mean, you could literally shop your idea at a cocktail party and know instantly if it's going to be successful. If people get it and are passionate and they're reacting to you, you know, it's going to, it's, it's going to take some wings. And yes, the last thing I would say is the cult of personality is everything for a founder Mm. and founders are typically charismatic and very dramatic and get attention and are very brave and very fearless. And, you know, the cult of personality is going to be really, really critical for a founder being successful. They're going to need to be able to use their magnetism to Mm -hmm. market their ideas and lobby people around them, it's going to get to a point where that cult of personality needs to like take it, go down a few levels so that other people can really be the ambassadors and the spokespeople Mm -hmm. and take the idea and run with it. But in the beginning, that cult of personality is going to be a really crucial factor. So it's going to, the person's going to need to be able to uh, network with movers and shakers and effectively get their idea across to draw people to their cause. I totally agree. I think that's, I think that's incredibly important. They have to be willing. They don't have to be an extrovert necessarily. They can identify as an introvert, but they have to be willing to put themselves out there. And I run into this a lot when I teach marketing, where I say, someone has to be the face of the organization. It doesn't have to be your founder. It doesn't have to be your board chair. It could be development director, marketing director, but there does need to be someone that I see on a regular basis on Instagram stories, in emails, in video that I can identify with. And I say, oh, I know them, or I know a couple of people that work for this organization. I think personality is hugely important. And I would say it's just as important for us, right? Running our own businesses. Because people hire us, they like us, they resonate with us. And, you know, I think what's, what's hard for founders and you probably see this a lot is that they try probably to be everything to everyone and they, you know, they try to be authentic, but they also want, they have such a passion for what they're doing. They have such a passion for the mission. They have such a vision for the world that they're going to create, that they want to bring everyone on board. And then when there comes a naysayer, you know, or a hater or a troll, how do you deal with that? How do you tell founders to deal with the naysayers? I would tell everyone there are going to be naysayers. They're going to be haters. If If you're doing important work, there's going to be naysayers. Yeah. If you're doing important work, important work is polarizing. Yes. Period. End of story. And you have to embrace it. And I would say, you know, you are never going to please all the people all of the time. It's not going to happen. Let go of that idea. Wave goodbye to it from the shore. It's mm-hmm. never going to happen. Mm-hmm. You've got a big vision. You've got a big mission. And you've got to get out there and give it all you've got. If you do not have some critics, you're not doing it right. Yes. <laughs> right. If you don't have any critics, you may not have any followers. You may be so bland. No one's listening. Exactly. And the point of all this is not to be so, to not blend in like a wallflower. The point of this 
is to get your ideas across and to inspire people to think differently and to support you. And you're never going to make all the people happy all the time. You've got to embrace that you can't live in fear of upsetting people. You can't live Mm -hmm. in fear of being afraid of taking a risk. I would say you have to be afraid and do it anyway. I I always said that it's, that's not like, I don't know who originally coined that certainly wasn't me, but that was one of my mantras when I was running girl start was like, be afraid and do it anyway, be afraid and do it anyway. And what does it matter? Oh, Brene Brown. I don't know. I always attribute everything. Maybe it was Oprah. Maybe it was. (laughs) You know, whatever it is, whether it's public speaking, whether it's doing a major gift solicitation, whatever it is, like uh, whether it's my, you know, my kids going back to school for the first day of high school when they haven't been in school face to face for over a year or a year and a half. Mm -hmm. I mean, like you're going to be afraid. You have to embrace your fears and you have to push through it. But, you know, you can't be quiet and live in fear of making someone mad or taking a risk because fundraising is a lot of risk-taking. Fundraising is a huge risk. And that's a lot of what you teach and a lot of what you speak about. And I've seen you speak several times. I've been privileged to see you talk about loving on your donors, how to love your donors. But what I wanted to talk about today, and I told you we were going to speak on this, was more about because strategic tips for people that are scared to fundraise or they they have this fear to put themselves out there and i know that's a very very common fear especially in marketing you know nonprofit fundraising circles so why like help us unpack like why do you think so many people are scared of fundraising and asking for money and so many boards and so many development directors yeah. i know it's like the scariest thing you can ask someone to do yeah people are afraid of fundraising. I mean, like in terms of all of our fears, we've got public speaking number yes. one, we've got death number two, and then we've got spiders. And fundraising, and then is, fundraising like, is number four, probably. <laughs> well, it's in between death and spiders. So, wow. <laughs> so it's, yeah, it's like number three. So yeah, people are afraid of fundraising and there's the vulnerability, there's the yes. risk, there's the what if I say no, there's people's own issues about money. People mm-hmm. project a lot of emotional issues and a lot of values to money and money is really just paper and they print more every day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but you know, board members may be afraid if I ask this person, then they're going to ask me. But I would tell anyone, great fundraisers and great board members are so passionate about their work and they believe so much in the mission and they're so dialed in and they're so jazzed about it. And they're drinking so much of the Kool-Aid of what it is that they're doing that they're excited to give someone else the opportunity to be a part of a winning team and be a part of making the world a better place. And I would say, if you're not feeling the love, stop and think about why you work for the organization or why you volunteer for the organization in the first place. Think about how the organization is doing great work. If you're not jazzed about the work that your organization is doing, that's a whole, you know, it's time to think about what other opportunities you want to pursue, but it's your passion for the mission that sells that funder. And it's your passion for the mission that can help you overcome your fears of fundraising. And if you need a little extra push, my next piece of advice is go make a donation. Just go make a donation and you will be reconnected with how good it feels to give. Because the truth is we feel all these insecurities about asking for a donation, but giving a gift 
is the neurological equivalent of winning the lottery. And it feels amazing to give a gift. And our body is like, first we get this whole endorphins, like the runner's high. And then our body is like flooded with oxytocin. It feels miraculous and marvelous to give. And I'm disappointed sometimes when I talk to fundraising audiences, how many people in the audience are like, oh, I haven't given a gift in a really long time. And who aren't really as active in philanthropy on the giving side, they're active mm-hmm. on the solicitation side. So if, if you haven't given a gift in a while, do it. And you'll realize this feels really good. I feel really good when I give. You're giving people the opportunity to feel that great. Hey there, I'm interrupting this episode to share an absolutely free training that I created that's getting nonprofits of all sizes, big results. Sure, you've been spending hours on social media, but what can you actually show for it? With all this posting and Instagramming and TikToking, does it really translate into action? In my free training, I'll show you exactly how to take people from passive fans to passionate supporters, and I'll give you specific steps to create social media content that actually converts. Head on over to nonprofitsthatconvert.com. Again, that's nonprofitsthatconvert.com and start building a thriving social media community for your nonprofit right now without a big team, lots of tech overwhelm, or getting stuck on the question, what do I do next? Let me show you how it's done. I can't wait to see what you create. I love what you what you said to me. Tell me about no is just a word. Yeah. I love that because I, I use that in business. Yeah. No is just no is just a word, not a personal reflection on you and your worth. So yeah, talk more about that. Yeah, no is just a word. Money is just paper. They print more every day. If no's are really your friend in fundraising because no's tell you how to get to a yes. You can think of no doesn't mean no, never. No just means no, not right now. Mm -hmm. And you can think of the word N-O as like next opportunity. And you can think about, usually I tell fundraisers when I'm training fundraisers, you know, if you get a no, it's one of four things. It is the timing. It is the amount. And both of those are solved the same way. It's pretty Mm -hmm. easy to solve those. It could be the program or the project. It could be that they... Their interests have changed. They were said one thing, now they're said another. It could be that you made a fundamental error and you didn't have the right people in the room. Maybe you didn't have the right person soliciting. Maybe you didn't have the right people at the table to make the decision to give. If you make that mistake, the good news is, the bad news is it's a really bad mistake and it's going to take you back mm-hmm. in terms of your fundraising with that person. It's going to take you longer because you're going to maybe have to cultivate someone else or bring someone else into the relationship. The good news is you'll never make that mistake again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and mm-hmm. and for all of this, it's like writing. Fundraising is like riding a bike or learning a foreign language or anything else. The more you do it, the more you practice it, the more you immerse yourself in it. Every mistake that you make, everything that goes on, you're just going to learn for the next time. I really love that philosophy. I think that every no that you get, like you said, it really helps you get closer to yes. And no just means not now. And certain things are out of your control and certain things are in your control, but you can only control what you can control. And I think that, I mean, that really brings us to communications. I know you have a program on email marketing. You have the League of Extraordinary Fundraisers. 
I'd love to hear some tips from you. How do we get over that fear of pressing the send button on an email or making that phone call or communicating to our list? Well, building relationships is not optional in fundraising. It is what fundraising is. Yeah. So if you don't like building relationships, if you don't like people, then fundraising is really not the best profession because it is all about... That's what I love about fundraising. It's like the perfect career for a hopeless romantic. Oh. <laughs> you get to just like find out what they hold dear and what their values are and what's meaningful and important to them. And then you get to just like love on them and bring them opportunities to make the world a better place. So I think fundraising is a really fantastic job. But I'm also really passionate about marketing and you know, people have as much fear about hitting that send button mm-hmm. as they do about making a face-to-face ask. And I would say that this kind of the same advice is true. You are not great communications are somewhat polarizing and great communications take some kind of a risk and they show some level of vulnerability. Case in point, when we started this conversation, you mentioned an email that I wrote about my ninth grade crush. Yes. And I wrote this hilarious email about my ninth grade crush and I sent it to my husband, right? Like when I write really <laughs> vulnerable emails, I said, <laughs> you want him to know like, in case he gets asked about it. He was like, do not say his name. Do not say his name in this email. And I'm like, are you kidding me? You gotta say like, a name. Like that's the whole thing. It's like, like Jordan Catalano in my so-called life. Like you have to say a name. I'm not being vulnerable if I don't say who he is. I did put it at the PS, like, please do not forward this email to Steve Hafner because I'm happily married and he can't have me anyway. (laughs) He'd probably be thrilled. I'm sure he has people throwing themselves at him all the time, but good email and good communications and good fundraising, you're going to be in a vulnerable position and you've got to embrace it. And that's what makes you, you, and that's what makes you brave. And that's what makes you lovable. And that's what draws other people to you is that you are willing to be yourself and you're willing to be authentic and you're willing to be vulnerable and you're willing to like call it like it is. You're willing to take risks. You're going to make mistakes. You are going to mess up emails. You're going to, someday you're going to maybe mess up personalization. Someday mm-hmm. you're going to have a really embarrassing typo. If you make a really bad mistake, you need to apologize for it. You need to work harder and be better. If you make some really insignificant mistake, a really insignificant mistake. You do not need to send another email to the whole list about some kind of meaning. A typo. Yeah, please don't send me a list about yeah. thing of I mean, a typo. If, if, if it's a bad link, yeah, resend it. Or if you screw Or if you thing. misspell your major donor's name or something. Yeah, yeah I agree with it? you. The perfectionism, it's the enemy. It's a huge yeah. enemy. Yeah, but there are times when you will make a mistake that's bad enough that you need to apologize for it. And you may mm-hmm. need to sit down and do some serious soul searching and rethinking and some personal work. That's who we are as human beings. This is a journey. We're all on this journey together. We don't know when the journey is going to end. We're all in this together. We're going to show up. We're going to work hard. We're going to love hard. We're going to do the best job that we can. When life knocks us down, we're going to pick ourselves back up again. We're going to dust ourselves off and we're going to get right back in there because there are so many amazing people depending on you to do the work that you're doing for your nonprofit and they need you and they need you to be brave and dust yourself off and get back in there again. And you're going to make mistakes. You need to embrace it and move on. And one person complaining shouldn't get to take the whole ship down. 
one oh. board member who didn't like that you used a photo of a client, even though you had their permission or whatever else, they don't get to take the whole ship down. They're not in charge. They're not your audience. I love that. They don't get to take the whole ship down. I've been writing a lot about racial justice and anti-racism. And I wrote a blog post and a, an email about ways to stop violence against Asian Americans, Pacific Islanders, and the blowback. First of all, it was not as bad as I thought, but yeah, there were like, every time I send an email, that's not just, here's five ways to use Facebook to fundraise. I get some blowback. But the thing that I always think to myself is, okay, so I have an email list of, you know, how many thousand people, and then I get three emails from people. One is usually just like, please unsubscribe me. No reason. Then a couple others go into what's wrong with me and why I shouldn't have said what I said. And I always think, okay, it's not for them. It's just not for them. And it's not that I was purposely trying to be disagreeable or offensive or provocative. It was me being authentic and and talking about issues that I care about. And if your organization is doing that, trust me, you are, like Rachel said, polarizing. If you are doing anything important, I don't care if you are a little tiny museum and historical preservation society, someone disagrees with you. (laughs) Someone is going to the town meeting and saying why you can't get tax dollars. So no matter what we do, if it is important, provocative, transformative work, you are going to get the no. You are going to get the unsubscribe. You are going to get that email. But to put it all in context, I think that's so, so important. There will always be unsubscribes. And I want to give a shout out to you, Julia, because you are very brave and very authentic and very fearless. And I love that you totally put yourself out there. and. You do like some of your stuff, it's going to be polarizing for people and that's okay. You will be too much for some people and that's fine because those are not your people and they can unsubscribe, but it is hard. And I'm not going to, I'm not going to minimize that it's emotional. It's not for everybody. Not everybody wants to do that. What I do. Yeah. I'm just very comfortable doing it, but not everyone can do it. It's hard to get criticism. It's hard. Like when I get emails from people that are like, really rude. I mean, I can do a webinar and it can be an amazing webinar. I can do an Mm -hmm. incredible workshop. And the one person that is like super angry, I cannot look at the 50 people who raved about it. I know it'll stick in your head. That one person, they had a bad day and it'll stick in your head. it's, It's human nature, but don't let it stop you from your work. There's always going to be someone who is not happy. I have a whole special tag on my email list just for people who hate cussing because I I get these emails back from people who were like angry at me. And I'm like, fine, I'm going to make a tag that says not, no hates cussing. That's the tag. And if I have any kind of a cuss word or even symbols to indicate a cuss word, I make sure that anyone who hates cussing doesn't get the email. See, that's so nice. Because most of my emails, I don't cuss. I think that's amazing. And I love that. And I just normally delete people, but I, but I would only delete someone if they really were being offensive or saying something, you know, if they want to have a discussion and talk about things that I'm talking about. And that's another thing. I think if you are brave and you're fearless and you're raising money, people are going to ask you questions. You know, they're going to ask 
is this really important? Or they're going to have clarifying questions about the cause and the issue and the problem you're solving. And I think as fundraisers, we do need to understand that every time we put our message out there, we're welcoming feedback. And a lot of times on social media, some of my clients will say, well, can I turn off like all the comments and the DMs and the this and the that? And I said, you know, you just probably want to buy a billboard at the end of the day. Like, if you don't want to get any comments or questions or feedback or input, because if you open these cans of worms, then yeah. you're putting yourself out there. You don't deserve abuse and you don't deserve haters and trolls, but you are opening this Pandora's box. You're starting a dialogue. The good and the bad. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Absolutely. my gosh, we could talk forever. So I want to wrap up with telling people how they can work with you. I know you run a membership called the League of Extraordinary Fundraisers. Can we talk about that? Yeah. It's League of Extraordinary Fundraisers.com. It's an awesome program. It's a membership and I do a workshop every single month. And people get awesome results. People get great, great results. One of my students, Whitney, I did a workshop on appeal writing and she said, oh my God, I can't even keep up with all the guests that are pouring through the door. So there's workshops on writing appeals, workshops on how to start a monthly giving program, the lucrative art of thanking donors, how to create a stewardship plan, how to create a development plan. We do a, a new brand, new live workshop every single month. It's 90 minutes long. And when you sign up, you get access to the live workshop plus all the amazing workshops that we've done before. It's only $49. It's uh, League of amazing. Extraordinary Fundraisers.com. I love I, the name League of Extraordinary <laughs> Fundraisers. You must you know, have had like that in the shower moment where you're like, this is what I'm calling it. I was brainstorming a lot of names, but honestly, my backup name was Fundraising Stars. And I kind of wish I'd gone with Fundraising Stars because League of Extraordinary Fundraisers is so long. It's so long to type it, but fundraising starts is going to be another program. So it's all good. It's all good. But yeah, it's it's a lot of fun. And I do, I even have a program within it where people can get coaching every single week. So nice. That's super fun too. Awesome. Well, how else can um, people find you, connect with you, follow you? They can check out rachelmuir.com. And if they want a lot of free help, I've got tons and tons of guides and templates and checklists. And you can see a lot of those at rachelmuir.com forward slash guides. And That's if you download Rachel, those things, then you'll get yep. on my email list and you'll oh, get free emails about And your welcome series is, it's worth it for the welcome series. <laughs> you know, you spent a lot of time on that, the nurture series. It's a pretty, it's like an A plus welcome series. I love it. So that's Rachel M-U-I-R, Rachel Muir. Thank you so much for being here today and donating your time and just, you know, it sounds corny, but never let anyone dull your sparkle because you really sparkle. So I don't. <laughs> thank you so <laughs> All right. Thank you. Thank you. Well, hey there. I wanted to say thank you for tuning into my show and for listening all the way to the end. If you really enjoyed today's conversation, make sure to subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast app and you'll get new episodes downloaded as soon as they come out. I would love if you left me a rating or a review because this tells other people that my podcast is worth listening to. And then me and my guests can reach even more earbuds and create even more impact. So that's pretty much it. I'll be back soon with a brand new episode. But until then, you can find me on Instagram at Julia Campbell 77 
keep changing the world, you nonprofit unicorn. Oh, 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 oh,